I think when I look at how the CISO role has evolved and where I'm at in my career now versus where I started, I'm big proponent on enablement of the business. And there needs to be flexibility in the role today. But going back to the open-mindedness and being helpful is really how I take my approach. From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore, and today I speak with my friend, Matt King, CISO at Belkin. Matt and I talk about how lifelong learners make for great team members and why he's learned to steer clear of assumptions about people's skill sets when managing them. Managing a team can be tough, or rather, is tough. How do our preconceived ideas and assumptions shape the success of the people we lead? And what tools can CISOs leverage to become even better leaders? Okay, Matt, if you would, for those that don't know you, please tell us about yourself. Sure, Steve. So my name is Matt King. I am the CISO at Belcan. Belcan is a global engineering organization that focuses on aerospace, industrial, automotive, and defense industries. I've been here since early 2017. I have been in uh, security for approximately 10 years and have been in the IT industry for a little over 20, so about 22 years. So just for as, as full disclosure, we once upon a time worked together, one of your prior employers. We did. I remember when you changed over from infrastructure to information security. And, and one of the things I remember is you were kind of one of the go-to people if we needed to get things done in IT. And it wasn't too long after that, after your name kind of kept popping up, that, that you ended up coming over. One of the things we do in the show is we try to lay the groundwork where somebody listening can pick up Pearl of Wisdom, I hope, or even I had a chat with somebody last Friday who was a listener and wanted to have a kind of a more detailed personal chat. And he actually went through and listened to the show to prepare for his new CISO job. Not even shared this with anybody. It was very touching. And he saw us listening to this, these interviews is, is like practice almost. And I think one area where you can help a lot is kind of two areas. One is, what's it like to spend almost an entire career in IT, but not in InfoSec? And then what's it like also to move from being like team lead to manager director? And so to start all of that, just talk a little bit about how'd you get your start in IT and, and maybe some of what you did at a high level. And then I want to jump in to your transition. So how'd you get your start in IT? Sure. So when I was first in college, I was studying aerospace engineering. The irony there is that I'm now working for an aerospace engineering organization. My cousin approached me one summer and asked me if I wanted to do a co-op at an organization and working in desktop support. So, um, you know, the baselines of IT and, and supporting customers and building workstations, correcting issues and just helping them out. That experience um, was very telling to me. And I think if there's one piece of advice that I would tell people is in terms of trying to determine what they want to do in their career is get some exposure and some actual experience in doing what you're interested in doing to make sure that that's what you want to do. 
because that caused me to change my focus in my and change my major from aerospace engineering over to computer science. So that's how I got my start. And since I changed my major, I decided to come back. I was able to come back as both temporary labor as I was going through college. And I eventually transitioned to full-time into IT. So that was all in desktop support, worked my way up into server networking support, transitioned over to some application support areas when some things changed within the organization, and eventually got involved in the new fledgling e-business department and was asked to join the application support area over there. And when I was in that part of the organization, I went through the process of studying for my Microsoft Certified Systems Engineering um, certification, and I did achieve that. And that taught me a lot of things that I realized that we weren't doing from a security perspective. And the organization at that point in time only had a couple of people in the security organization. So I was voicing my opinions about a lot of things, about a lot of things that I learned, a lot of things that we weren't doing. And shortly thereafter, there were a lot of regulatory changes that were coming about within, within the industry that required us to start looking at things differently. So I assisted, I leveraged the influence that I'd, I had gained by helping people throughout the organization. I, I leveraged that influence to help to establish some of these fledgling security programs. So even though I wasn't in the security department, I, I was helping the team to achieve by yeah. helping to bridge the gap of the communication, right? So that eventually led to more involvement. We had more applications that we were supporting in the e-business department. It became the web application support area. And uh, one of the things that I championed was certificate management because we were having a big challenge with that surrounding the management of certificates and expirations and, of course, outages that that was leading to that was impacting right. the business. So we went from this process that was all, all discombobulated. It was mismanaged. It was managed by these each individual teams that were missing all these, these renewals. Uh, we went from, I think there was like a 36% failure rate to like a 98% failure rate after I took over and established you know, the proper processes yeah. there. So that was one aspect of the job from a, a security perspective. So when I talk about my security experiences and the length of time, I count that as a part of my security experiences because it is a part of the overall there. So I want to kind of decompose a bit of what you shared there, because from a career perspective, we can look at it one way. I like to look at it from the sort of the opportunity side from a leadership perspective where we have often cases where security leadership, they don't have enough help. And in this example, you were describing this as many years ago, there was a team that had two people. You were effectively an adjunct to that group looking to correct problems that affected security and operations. I think it's a good lesson for the listeners that, you know, in many cases, if you don't have enough people, are you partnering well enough with folks like yourself, like the way you were in, you know, many years ago, helping sort of solve these issues? You know, you were trying to get better practices in place. And there's this sort of this relationship that later became an opportunity for you at several levels, right? You're, you're now leading a security program someplace else. So I think that, that you know, you told me once uh, in our earlier conversation, uh, if you help others, others will, will help you. Talk to me, if you would, a little bit. You, you had almost an entire career doing IT technical work, and you make a transition into information security. What was more difficult for you, the movement into security or movement into leadership that happened, I believe, at the same time? 
the transition into leadership was the bigger challenge for me, even though I was a team lead effectively at that point. It's a different dynamic when you have an actual team reporting to you. And I had some challenges there that it, I freely admit from a delegation perspective. And I, I mismanaged the team or at least some team members in, in some ways because I wasn't, I wasn't really aware. I wasn't really completely taught how to do those sorts of things. So it wasn't until I took the American Management Association's course on new skills for new managers that that course really opened my eyes into Ken Blanchard's situational leadership model. And I, I really strive to follow that model throughout my leadership career once I learned how to do that. But, you know, in a lot of cases, when people are promoted into management, I think there's a key gap in terms of whether people were taught how to be a manager. How do you choose what to delegate versus, you know, how much coaching do you need to provide to a specific person, not just based on their knowledge level, but based on the specific tasks that they're asking them to do. Yeah. And certainly when I came over here to Belkan, you know, as I was talking to some of the other leaders in here, especially those that I noticed that were having some challenges, I realized that they probably were going through some of the same things. And many of them had been managers for many, many years, right? Of, And I point blank asked the question, have you ever had any management training? And they're like, well, no, you know, we were expected at that point in time just to take over and start doing what we needed to do. So it was, it's an interesting concept that, you know, some leaders as they transition from a uh, individual contributor level into a leadership position, that they're never actually given that sort of leadership training. But um, I was fortunate enough that my leadership team at my organization I was at was they recognized based on my self-reflection and the challenges that I was talking to my leadership with that I needed some additional help. And that was, that was the exact key that I needed in order to become successful in a role like this. Matt, what did you, I know sometimes this isn't super easy to talk about, but you, you move into leadership. You mentioned an issue maybe with delegation, but where, where do you feel like you really messed up? And how would you recommend someone avoid that uh, if they were in a similar role, right? So if there's somebody listening right now that's at a career kind of crossroads that you were at and, and they're, they're, they don't know if they're doing well or not, but they just, something doesn't feel right. You know, where, so two things, where did it come apart? What was it that you didn't do well? And then how do you, how would you recommend somebody sort of avoid that or, or prevent that? Yeah. So where I had uh, an issue where I had a fault is I made an assumption based on somebody's skill level that I could just completely delegate a task to them. And where they really needed was more coaching in working through that particular challenge together. That person wasn't a very vocal individual around asking for help. So it became an assumption throughout the process of, I, you know, I think that this person is getting the work done. And then when it came to times for checks and balances, they weren't. And I got maybe a little too heated rather than trying to understand the situation at that point in time. And it caused some relationship challenges as a part of, you know, me being a new manager. I would say my advice to people who are in a new manager or new leadership position, make sure you fully understand not just the person's skill level, but fully understand exactly what that person can handle for that particular task that you're asking them to do. Ask them all the questions about the process and make sure that you understand what they're ready for from a delegation perspective. Do they need 
hand-holding throughout the entire process? Do they need just some simple coaching and guidance? Or can you completely hand it off to them? And when you understand what that is for that particular individual, it makes leadership so much easier across the board. And it can really open up doors in order to accomplish what you need to get done. So this was topically, it was it was a delegation item, but but I think it may go even a little deeper in just just pressure testing your staff, knowing kind of what's what's their feedback mechanism. Are they going to let you know if they're overwhelmed? Or it sounds like from from what you're sharing that you got in a situation, they're probably telling you that things are good, or somebody assumed that things were good, and you get to a project deadline or some sort of milestone moment and it's all gone to hell and it's sort of a surprise is that and and then then when that happens uh then there's sort of this high friction scenario that, that you alluded to is that is that roughly accurate or am i off base it's roughly accurate i would say that there were there were touch bases between there with an understanding that person was working on these things but they weren't to a level of of completion that was expected so i would also say you know trust but verify is another you know, good term that you need to to leverage as a part of being a new manager. Make sure that you are looking at the details of the work of what people are accomplishing and making sure that they are doing that to the level of your expectation. So you would go through just for the listener. You mentioned that AMA class. Is this a is this a one day class? Is this a six day class? Is this a is this a multi month thing? What is the class and and what was your consumption of it? How long did it take? You seem to be very keen on it. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the experience of that, and and it seems to be something that's that's a, a key inflection point for you. Yeah, you know, I can't remember if it was three days or five days, but I know it was within a one week time frame, and I want to say it was five days. That was you know many years ago, obviously. But the thing that really stood out to me that in that class is it was very engaging. Uh, and and obviously, you're well aware of this. The teacher can make or break a class, right? In right. terms of of the engagement and what they expect of the class and ensuring that everybody's communicating and asking questions. And this, in this particular case, you know, this particular educator had each of the individuals within the class were all participating in leadership sessions as a part of, as a part of the, the activity as he went through, you know, the scenarios associated with that situational leadership. And it was all based around that situational leadership two model that I mentioned Ken Blanchard's name about earlier, which is where it came from. Because of that engagement, and there was some direct correlation in terms of those challenges that I was facing from the delegation perspective, and it really hit home right at the right time frame, and to the point where I went back to that individual, and I apologized. I said, look, you know, I, I realize that, you know, I'm a new leader here, and you know, this was a big learning experience for me. And I just, you know, I want us to get past this and move forward. And I promise I won't treat you the same way moving forward. And this is what I learned and why I will never treat anyone like that again in that situation. So you also shared with me, uh, you had a comment when I, when I was um, asking it kind of how to avoid this again. You, may, you said that it takes kind of a formula, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but you said good peers good educators, harsh truths, and understanding gaps uh, will kind of get you where you need to be. Tell us a little bit about that. There's especially the harsh truths. Um, What is that to you? There's a couple of aspects there, right? So you and I have had conversations in the past about just helping people in general. 
And different people see helping each other in different ways. And some people are hesitant to talk about, you know, some of the more challenging conversations of, you know, let's just take, for example, a, a simple security control where somebody perceives it to be something that it is not, right? And sometimes you just have to call people out on that. And you have to say, I, you know, I don't think that that's the case. And here's the evidence why. But in, and in some cases, it's behavioral challenges. And as a leader, you know, certainly there are more behavioral challenges that you'll have to deal with uh, throughout your career than you would as an individual contributor. But as an individual contributor, you also have to deal with that. The point being there is, is some things people may not think that they want to hear something, but they need to hear it anyway. And if they don't hear those things, they aren't going to be aware that it's an issue and they won't be able to correct it. So I see it as helping people, you know, whether it be throughout their, their career or helping the organization that you're a part of or what have you. Sometimes you just have to speak what reality is versus what people perceive it to be. Well, and, and I think I would add to that, and I think we're saying the same thing here, but you need to make sure that you've got a couple people that are your peer or maybe a level above or below, you know, somewhere in that, in that swim lane that will give you private high candor feedback. And I think a lot of people fail without having that. You know, we, one of the things when um, Matt Klein was on a call, another Matt, we had uh, early times, we would meet, you know, working in a large organization often it's it's hard to get things done cooperation is harder to get than than budget in many cases and if you remember we would meet and kind of had this you know secret society of 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 folks that would get together and and vent and get feedback and try to get things done kind of as this cross section this team and and you were a part of that but part of that is back to your formula good peers good educators harsh truths and understanding gaps and that's exactly what we were unintentionally trying to solve. And so find the people that get things done. And one of the questions I asked informally at that employer was, who are the people here that can get things done? And there was a, a team of people that that became. And so I think that's all part of that same formula. I don't know if you have anything else you wanted to kind of add or other commentary to that. Just an experience actually between you and I, right? Just thinking about that, our experiences back with that group. I remember, you know, early in my leadership career, and I point blank asked you about something specific, and I wanted your perspective in terms of how I was doing on something. <laughs> and, and you asked me, you said, Matt, do you really want that answer? And I said, yes, yeah, Steve, I wouldn't have asked the question if I didn't want the answer. So there's a perspective there of those harsh truths of people needing to hear the harsh truths. Unfortunately, in some cases in the world, people get upset about those harsh truths, but sometimes even if they may get upset about that. And I'm not one of those people, right? I like to hear the harsh truths. I like to know how I'm going to improve. Obviously, you know, I've had conversations about that in the past, but with some people, to your point, they don't really fit into that group of people who are willing to listen to those harsh truths. And sometimes it can be detrimental. But my advice to those of you out there is even though it may be a little challenging and even though it may feel a little bit hurtful, in a lot of cases, it's in the best interest of you in the best interest of the organization that you're a part of, in the best interest of your team. So take it to heart and use it for positivity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and again, that's the, if you're going into a new job, I think that's part of it as well, to quickly identify the people. And it may take time, but uh, maybe you find a couple people early on that'll give you that feedback. Am I missing the mark? 
Am I willing to take feedback? And I think that's one of the things you did very directly. And hopefully it was helpful. I think it was. It was, yes. You have gone and you you spent almost a, a career in IT and then switched into security leadership and then moved into executive leadership, which is a difficult thing to do. One of the things I want to talk to you about in that vein that I think would be important for many listeners, and this is on the minds of, of many, I want to talk a little bit about when is it time to leave? And this is a hard topic. You told me that the prior employer that you were planning on being a lifer, you know, you had moved into leadership, you were adding value, you had a great team, and then you left. There's a lot of variables. But according to Matt, if someone's struggling and they're listening, how do you know when to leave? What's the event that creates the situation where you're like, okay, maybe it's time to actually brush up your resume? What's your advice there? You know, I'm a very loyal employee, typically speaking, Steve. And so for me, there was a strategic change in direction that made me feel and realize the writing on the wall that, you know, my role may not be there in the near future. And that there weren't going to be any exceptions for people in that strategic position, not the positive position that they expected people to move to, so to speak. And as a part of that, I I didn't necessarily go start looking for anything, but I I said, okay, you know, I'm going to, I've had some offers in the past and, you know, being the loyal employee that I was, I wasn't willing to even entertain those offers with, with the situation that I was in you know, knowing that my role probably wouldn't be there, I felt slighted in a way that, you know, because there, there weren't going to be any exceptions to what was occurring. Uh, and I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to entertain offers. I've given, you know, my blood, sweat, and tears to this organization, but, you know, I'm going to entertain what comes along. And it wasn't long after that, that somebody reached out to me with this opportunity here at Belkan. And it just felt right. And the timing was right. And even though the role was bigger and it was a different industry and I knew it was going to be challenging, there's a portion in you that you have to weigh the pros and the cons of, of what's happening. But certainly, if you feel like something is no longer going to be there, that's a perfect opportunity to make a change. And I would say, be open-minded about things and just have a, a positive outset and think about all the things that led you to where you were, not from a leaving the organization perspective, but what things do you feel made you so successful leading up to that point in your career and focus on those things and really drive those homes to really home to really excel in moving on to whatever that new position is you told me that it was absolutely worth the jump and for my position i would completely agree you have have grown and been able to experience many new things and building programs and and maturing as a leader is is a fantastic thing to see You did make a comment, though, and I think this is something that applies to many people. I want to spend some time on it. You said you haven't been the best salesperson of yourself. What does that mean? How did you identify that? What? What? Let's first talk about that. Why haven't you been the best salesperson of yourself? Yeah, great question. Actually, I was having a conversation with somebody who I mentor this morning about this. So the timing is is uh, interesting. So what I meant by that is I'm a very humble person by nature. And my mom always taught me not to brag. So I felt like it was kind of bragging when I touted my accomplishments. And that's just how I was raised and you know, not going around saying, oh, I can do X, Y, Z, right? So it was a struggle for me to call out 
the accomplishments that I, that I was doing, the things that I was achieving for the organization, even in some cases early on in my career surrounding, you know, yearly reviews, right? Yearly performance reviews. And I got some advice from one of my early leaders that I was doing a, a detriment to myself by not calling out those good things. And you spent basically the, the, the advice was you spent the time to do this and to achieve these things. Why not call them out? And I looking at it at that perspective was really eye-opening to me. And it allowed me to start opening my heart a little bit and being able to start touting more of those things. And it wasn't until I started touting more of those things, more of those accomplishments that I really started to move up in, in the ranks, so to speak. And that's what really led to my opportunities. It's part of what led to my opportunity here at Belkin, right, of telling that story. It's part of your, your own branding, so to speak, of how you want to represent yourself and where you fit within the world of information security and IT. Can you share a little of what you shared with, with Belkin going in? I mean, you were, it was a step up of a position, but you had had Fortune 40, Fortune 30 experience. You had done lots of things. What was part of the story that you told? What you know, you don't need to share all of it, but I think some examples would be good for the listener. I'm I'm really interested in what did you share going into the interview, and then I want to talk a little bit about what are the kinds of things you share today. So those are two different things. Let's just focus on the first part of that. You obviously needed to reflect on that, but what were you sharing in this step up position uh, when you went in to interview? Part of that conversation is really. What questions are you asking of the other organization as you go into that interview process, right? So I think you and I have had this conversation before. You know, you get to a certain point in your career where they're interviewing you, but you're interviewing the organization as well, right? Right. And it was it was a lot of that of, you know, asking questions about where they are and whether they had XYZ as a part of their program. And it was a, it was a very immature program at that point in time. So a lot of the questions I was asking, they didn't have. But going back to your original question around things that I shared about myself, I really, I really just focused on those achievements and focused on, you know, how I got to where I was, all the cool things I got to do in security and all the different exposures that I had and all the things that I learned from, you know, my peers such as yourself. And really, it's about telling the holistic story about how you are and, and um, what got you to where you were that day. One of the things that a friend of mine and I used to work on, there's actually several of us, the kind of the process of creating notables. And we wanted to be people that had notables. It's a special section on your resume. There is a bit of a shelf life to a notable, meaning it wouldn't stay on there for a long period of time. It may only be good for like a year or two, maybe not even that long. But it was these things that the things that you would remember, if you sat down and had a conversation with me professionally, you would remember that after, you know, after that meeting, uh, you might forget where I went to school, but you would remember something, right? And, and that's what I always try to coach people on is to have your list of notables. And it sounds like you were working on this list, the, these sort of notables, the good things you've done that would stick that were that were you know true and punchy is is that roughly correct when yes. is that what you were building okay. yeah that's absolutely right i've never actually heard of it referred to as notables but what you're describing is exactly what i was doing were they interested in your experience in doing you know some of the problems that you faced and worked on your prior employer was that of interest too and from an incident response standpoint as well 
Yeah, it it was. So all all my experiences really led to, you know, what they were looking to achieve and and quite frankly they they weren't entirely certain around the pieces of what they needed to be doing. So they were looking yeah. for somebody to set up strategy to really drive the program holistically, right? And that's exactly what I came in to do. But there were questions around experience around incident response and things of that nature and my experiences around those things and it was um exactly what they were looking for, fortunately for me. I asked that not to dive too deep into it, but that's a notable thing. Not everyone can kind of um, uh, share and articulate the pressures that come with that. And that's a unique, you either have it or you don't. Agreed. And so it's a, I often joke that if there was a million dollar SANS class, it still wouldn't uh, cover all the experiences that you are likely to, to have <laughs> during a, a major problem uh, like that. So another thing from a career perspective, Matt, is it true that, that you went in to a leadership position and that position has changed even since you've been there? Is that, is that an accurate statement, that it's grown since you've been there? Absolutely. It's accurate. So you went in, you weren't going in as saying, hey, you're going to be in charge of everything. It's that we have our first sort of named security position from a leadership perspective, and then you've helped grow and build that. Right. So I came in understanding I was going to be running the program, but at the time the program was one person underneath me, right? Okay. And so when you talk about growth, and, and I talked a little bit about the strategy perspective and developing that strategy, and a lot of that strategy really centered around some of the regulatory controls that the organization was facing. They, they weren't being impacted by them directly at that point in time, but we were running out of, out of time quickly. So a lot of that really became a combination of strategy and tactics to ensure that we met the regulatory controls. But of course, that it required, um, you know, adding people to the organization. Shortly thereafter, we got some international business. We acquired some organizations in, in the UK. So we grew internationally. So now I have a staff of nine um, and two of those folks are out in the UK. So, you know, it, it is a completely global role, whereas... When I originally joined the organization, it was just U.S.-based. Right. Matt, one of the things I think that's important to cover, you were in this step-up position where you had certainly done a lot in your career, but you hadn't necessarily built the program. And you started with one person, and now you're in charge. How did you kind of amp yourself up to, to take on that, that challenge? And where did you go since you, you hadn't done it before? How did you sort of set your direction, both tactically and from a leadership perspective, maybe strategically would be the, the term or idea to use? How'd you get started? Yeah, you know, I was uh, in a unique situation, certainly coming into the organization. I was coming into a completely different industry, right? So regulations were different. So, you know, I started out even before I started the role, you know, really doing some research around the regulation and making sure that I understood you know, what I was facing coming into the organization, you know, having one person, having developed strategy around what you're trying to build out and securing an organization when regulation is required, it really makes it sort of easy to sort of frame your strategy around that regulation. So in, in some cases, that sort of gave me a leg up. But, you know, thinking about just holistically, a lot of the things that I hadn't done before going into that role is... I was, I'm a really reflective and observant person. So anytime that I was in a room with the other security leaders at our other organization, I was listening to everything everyone was saying and absorbing everything everyone was saying to try and get 
an understanding of their perspectives and understanding of what they were doing within that part of the organization. And that taught me a lot. By being observant and learning through observation and learning through self-reflection, I think it put me in a position where I understood what needed to happen with each of these things. Of course, you know, you still have to learn the technology, but I always say that, you know, you can teach easily teach somebody technology if they're a technical person. What's more challenging is teaching somebody character. And I, I leverage that when I'm interviewing people for roles that I have. You want to make sure that they fit within your organization. They fit the character of what you're trying to build from a culture perspective. But if they don't have the technology capability, as long as they've got similar background and they've demonstrated that they can learn something, I may give somebody an opportunity just based on, on where they fall, right? So I would say, uh, and I give this advice to a lot of people, is try to learn from everybody that you meet. In some cases, it's going to be just you know something that they do well. Some cases, it's going to be something that you do not want to emulate or something not to do. In some cases, it may be a character trait of, hey, I like how that person is approaching things and I like how that person may have a positive attitude or something like that, right? But try to learn from everybody. Now, holistically, when you look at the big barrel of what I was jumping into coming into this role, I would say try not to focus. Obviously, you have to focus on the overall when you're, when you're looking at the strategic approach. But when you get into the tactical implementation side of things, you have to break it up into chunks. Prioritize that based on what your highest risks are and try not to focus too much energy on the other things. If you start to distribute that energy everywhere, you're going to lose focus. So try to focus on one thing at a time or two things at a time, depending on you know, what your mind can handle, and um, you'll be fine. I think going in and when you're trying to set a new strategy and and here's our plan, and here's what we want to do. If it's a big bang kind of thing, I think quick wins are always to, to kind of know in the back of your mind so you can show progress, even if it's a little bit, I don't want to say synthetic, but you want to be able to understand what that unit of work is likely to be and then celebrate the completion of that. That was always really important for me, especially when trying to lead and create a new team to, so they felt appreciated that I was looking to carve that out. I think that's the other thing um, that I that I always tried to tried to work on. I agree with that. You mentioned character when when you were interviewing, when you're bringing in new people. What's your what's your litmus test there on character? Do you have is there anything in particular you look for? There is. I'm looking for people with just energy, people who are lifelong learners. I'm looking for people who are willing to help. That's the biggest piece for me. There are some people that I come across in my career that only willing to do what they have listed on their specific list of tasks, right? And mm -hmm. I, I built my reputation and part of how I actually probably the majority of what got me here is being helpful to others. And by going outside of the bounds of your normal job or maybe trailing the bounds is probably a better way to say you don't want to you don't want to step on somebody's toes and what you're trying to and what they're asking you to do but some of those earlier parts of the conversation we had today right of of helping the fledgling program of two security staff members and and you know being sort of a dotted line to them of helping them out i not only did that with them i did it with other parts of the organization too because i earned that reputation of he's the guy to go to for this information if I can't find something. It, it helped me to grow in my career and help to establish a positive relationship. If you are 
negative in your mindset in terms of helping people out. Of course, your primary goal should obviously be your job task, right, of what your your leader is asking you for to, to accomplish. But, you know, if you've got some extra time or somebody asks you for something quickly, why not help them out? That'll create a good reputation. It'll build relationships, most importantly. A lot of getting into other positions and moving on in your career is relationships. No question. I, I joke and say that uh, I never want to have to even have a resume anymore. If you've done <laughs> the other stuff right. That's very true. Yeah, I get that. If you've helped other people and, and kind of one of the rules I talk about is, and this may, some may laugh when I say this, but be nice and put someone else first. And if you do those things, that's one of my sort of my observations coming out of, of, of doing breach leadership is what I'll refer, yeah. sort of phrase it as. You'll go far and, and opportunities will certainly find you. You said something earlier that uh, it piqued my interest and it's specifically around you know learning and observing from other people, but you also mentioned some of its good stuff, things to do, and there's also things not to do. Are you reflecting on just leadership traits when you say that and, and where do you draw the line on a good leader versus a bad leader? Uh, I'm reflecting on both leadership traits, but also processes and procedures in some cases, right? So I've observed people doing things that were the long, hard row to get something done where they could just make you know one slight tweak and it would become much more efficient. In some of those cases of that observation, though, those people were doing that for a reason, and that was to allow them to look busy. And they were trying to look busy to make them feel, uh, make them try to show their leaders that they were busy, right? That's not the right approach for an organization. You want to be, you want to be as streamlined as possible. But to, to go back to the leadership aspect, an overbearing leader is something that can be a big challenge to deal with, particularly if they take more of a football coach approach than a coaching you through a situation and working you through the situation, right? More of a yelling at you or demanding type situation. That's not the approach that you want to emulate. Right. And also I would say micromanagement is a concern for me. And it's when I came into my, you know, when I first started into leadership, I had worked for some people who were micromanagers and it was you just don't understand how much that it takes away from productivity when somebody behaves in that way. And it was certainly something that I swore to myself that I would never emulate. So <laughs> It's a bad thing. Micromanagement is typically a symptom of a person who, who is a bad delegator and lacks trust. Either that or they're trying to hang on to some sort of past technical prowess that they had uh, versus focusing on leadership outcomes. And it's you're absolutely right. It's an awful thing uh, to have to sort of manage and, and to be micromanaged. I hated it. Yeah. I just, I, I couldn't stand it. You know, there's so much that I want to go through. And, and one of the things I think that is important for us to know, you know, you went from technician, team lead to now VP of global IT security. And what we haven't covered, I don't think enough of yet, and I'd like to know a little bit about it, is how did you work on executive presence? Because if you're not in those rooms, even if you've had great peers and, and other mentors, there's still a first time for everything. And it's still, it made me nervous. It still sometimes makes me nervous, right? Less I so agree. Now, but, yeah. but how did you, how did you get through that? So how did you work on executive presence 
and and even sort of the the networking and uh, being front and center. This is a front and center position. So what'd you do there? You know, I think there were there were a few things that led to sort of preparing me for that. I think you and I have talked that I have a martial arts background, spent many years training martial arts and teaching martial arts. So I was I had some exposure to being front and center there. But it's different in a leadership perspective here where there are eyes on you that are constantly critiquing you, right? Yeah. And and that can be, as you stated, stressful and unnerving at times. I'm a very big advocate of self-talk, of talking yourself up. And if you're going into a situation like that, just think about all the things that you're looking to deliver, all the positivity that you bring to that role and to that particular challenge. And own the room is the best way that I can state it, is think to yourself as you're preparing, as you're doing that self-talk, tell yourself to own the room. And more often than not, you're going to walk in that room and you're going to be that presence. I don't know if I've shared this, certainly not on the podcast, but I, I'm not going to say what song it is, but I have a song. I've got a song that I, I listen to if I need to get sort of my energy focused in the right direction. And there was elements of were big events. One of the most difficult things I had to do was uh, doing some some deposition work. It was awful. And I had to listen to that. And uh, I had to tell myself that even though this was tough, that it wasn't as bad as, as what I could be doing. And this is actually an awesome opportunity. Kind of flip it around. Yeah. And there's uh, Simon Sinek does something like this, that it's it's kind of a mental game you play with yourself where it's not that, hey, I'm nervous because I have to do this. It's I get to do this. And I think that's the piece that a lot of young leaders miss. And so it's okay. I get to do this. Even if I'm nervous, I have to speak up. I have to do a big presentation. I've got to go lead a discussion with the SLT or ELT or board. That's a good mental kind of game to play. But um, yeah, have that, have that something to that, whatever that something is to focus your energy um, into I get to versus I have to. It's often missed. And it's Agreed. a, it's that's a, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's I think that's fantastic, man. So so what else? What's other le- what's one lesson? I want, I've got only a couple more questions for you. What's a lesson that you learned? So this whole journey, right? Going into now you're kind of from individual contributor to now you're you're the guy in charge. What did you learn? What's what's one standout thing that that you would share with somebody else uh from a mentorship perspective? What's what's something we haven't covered? What what tell us about that journey or that that thing that you're like, "Hey, this really surprised me or this is great." Yeah, you know, I think there were a lot of things just going up in my career that surprised me. I think probably probably the biggest surprise was was really initially I had some really good leaders that were really appreciative and really recognized some of the things that I was doing, but in, in terms of of advice that I would give for folks in order to get recognition like that is, you know, be open-minded about everything that's happening. Don't be try not to be negative in any situation that you come into, try to find the positivity and really just find a way of how can I contribute in this situation within the scope of my role or, you know, if there's a gap in what is trying to be accomplished, how can I help the organization by filling that gap through either self-study or things of that nature? Well, you kind of answered the question and this is a closeout question that we have for every show and maybe you'll take it a different direction, but pursuant to the name of the show, the new CISO, what does being a new CISO uh, mean to you? And you, you kind of gave the answer a little bit or one direction, but is there anything else you'd cover? What, what does it ultimately mean to you today for you in your current role? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's really all about flexibility for me. I think, you know, when I look at, at how uh, the CISO role has evolved and where I'm at in my career now versus where I started, you know, it's I'm big proponent on enablement of the business and there needs to be flexibility in the role today. But going back to, you know, the, the open-mindedness and being helpful is really how I take my approach. Now, obviously, there's there's some things that have to get done based on regulatory controls that strictly have to be in place. But, you know, when there's some flexibility that can can be in play and that flexibility can be in the form of, you know, some some adjustments to those controls or some enablement capabilities holistically. So just try to be as flexible as you can. And that's sort of how I take my approach to life here. Perfect. Matt, thank you so much for making time for us today. Steve, thank you for having me. It's been a wonderful time. I really enjoyed it. That's it for this episode of the new CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on exabeam.com forward slash podcast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first. Exabeam.com forward slash podcast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first.